Welcome to the Knowing Jesus Podcast. I'm your host, Brian Bachman, a licensed professional counselor. On the show, we explore who the real Jesus is, with his love, with his power, and with his endless pursuit of humanity, with the hope of changing our lives. On today's episode, we're reading John chapter 5, verses 16 through 47. So the Jewish leaders began harassing Jesus for breaking the Sabbath rules. But Jesus replied, My father is always working, and so am I. The Jewish leaders tried all the harder to find a way to kill him. For he not only broke the Sabbath, he called God his father, thereby making himself equal to God. Let's take a pause right there to unpack some of this passage. So on one hand, the Pharisees are correct. You're not supposed to work on the Sabbath. This is where we can often clash with nuances that, yes, we are supposed to rest on the Sabbath and take care of ourselves and honor God. And Jesus makes a point. Here's this individual who needed healing and to do good work on the Sabbath was okay. The idea of your kid hurt themselves, that you're going to obviously take care of them, going to heal them if they're sick, if they're injured. Um, If a loved one is in need, you're going to take care of them. There's certain things that, that don't pause on the Sabbath while also holding that then you need to ask for help too, right? You can't just do all these things on your own. I think of like a doctor or a nurse, you shouldn't work on every Sabbath. There's a point where someone else needs to take up the burden too, because you do need rest. You do need to take care of yourself. We all have needs. But here in this instance, the Pharisees couldn't see that not only was Jesus doing good things, he was obeying the Sabbath and doing miraculous works. They honored God. They were so concerned with this supposed false prophet, but Jesus always pointed back to God, the Father. He, even more so than John the Baptist, as we've seen, was not about making a name for himself, but he was about serving God. He wasn't in it for the riches or the money or the fame or the prestige. He cared about honoring God and drawing people to him. This all reminds me of a story from my childhood where we would go on Christmas and serve food to those who, who needed it. And I can't say that I had the best heart uh, in doing that, but that's not the point of the story. One thing that stood out to me was um, the man who, who led the organization, he was kind of rough around the edges. He kind of uh, swore and used profanity here and there, but his heart was like really solid. His heart was about serving people. And some people just got so offended that he wasn't perfect, that he didn't look great. And yet he was doing something that many people would never do, start a nonprofit, serve uh, the least of these, and do it consistently every day and truly care about people. And sure, on one one level, we could say, yeah, it's ideal that you would grow and be sanctified more. And yet we can get so focused on little discrepancies or issues within people and write them off or say that they're not from God. I mean, we're all human beings. We're all going to make mistakes. And sometimes we get so focused in all the rules instead of like, what is the fruit that is actually being done? But let's go back to the passage, starting with verse 19. So Jesus explained, I tell you the truth. The son can do nothing by himself. He does only what he sees the father doing. Whatever the father does, the son also does. For the father loves the son and shows him everything he is doing. In fact, the father will show him how to do even greater works than healing this man. Then you will truly be astonished. For just as the Father gives life to those he raises from the dead, so the Son gives life to anyone he wants. In addition, 
The Father judges no one. Instead, he has given the Son absolute authority to judge, so that everyone will honor the Son, just as they honor the Father. Anyone who does not honor the Son is certainly not honoring the Father who sent him. Taking another pause to unpack, this section is a great reminder that Jesus lived in perfect submission to the Father. We are supposed to be like Jesus in his heart to serve God our Father and his interests instead of our own. And this is where the Christian walk becomes the most difficult, as Jesus will later tell us to love our enemies, to pray for those who persecute us, to not be mean and get back at those and to slander those and to not be harsh and, and, and like the child, children of darkness. We are instead supposed to be countercultural and loving and kind and gracious and generous with those that are kind and good to us and those who are our enemies. I tell you the truth. Those who listen to my message and believe in God who sent me have eternal life. They will never be condemned for their sins, but they have already passed from death into life. And I assure you that the time is coming. Indeed, it's here now when the dead will hear my voice, the voice of the Son of God. And those who listen will live The Father has life in himself, and he has granted that same life-giving power to his Son. And he has given him authority to judge everyone because he is the Son of Man. Don't be so surprised. Indeed, the time is coming when all the dead in their graves will hear the voice of God's Son, and they will rise again. Those who have done good will rise to experience eternal life. And those who have continued in evil will rise to experience judgment. I can do nothing on my own. I judge as God tells me. Therefore, my judgment is just because I carry out the will of the one who sent me, not my own will. I really like verse 24 where it says, I tell you the truth. Those who listen to my message and believe in God who sent me have eternal life. They will never be condemned for their sins, but they have already passed from death to life. Again, this is that theme that Jesus talked about with the Samaritan woman, about the eternal life starts bubbling up inside of us. When we experience and know the Father on a personal level and his love for us, we start experiencing parts of eternal life this side of heaven because we have relationship, living, breathing, joy-giving relationship with God. And that is a huge part of eternal life. And that's something we can experience this side of heaven. Another part that's important for me to at least remind myself is verse 29. Those who have done good will rise to experience eternal life, and those who have continued to do evil will rise to experience judgment. This is not karma. This is not like the good place, if you've watched that, where you get enough points. It's not about doing good and then God saves you. The concept of good here is following in the footsteps of Jesus relationally, depending on him, submitting to him, seeking him. He is your God. That is the ultimate good, right? We as human beings cannot do righteousness in any sense that makes us right with God. Only Jesus can do that. And so those who continue to do good, basically abiding in the Father, living in him, serving him, seeking him, relating with him, relying on him, they will rise to experience eternal life. As we've already seen in this passage, if you believe in him and his truth and are following him, you're already starting to experience that eternal life. 
Now back to the text in verse 31. If I were to testify on my own behalf, my testimony would not be valid, but someone else is also testifying about me, and I assure you that everything he says about me is true. In fact, you sent investigators to listen to John the Baptist and his testimony about me was true. Of course, I have no need of human witnesses, but I say these things so that you might be saved. John was like a burning and shining lamp, and you were excited for a while about his message. But I have a greater witness than John, my teachings and my miracles. The Father gave me these works to accomplish, and they proved that he sent me. And the Father who sent me has testified about me himself. You've never heard his voice or seen him face to face. And you do not have his message in your hearts because you do not believe in me, the one he has sent to you. You search the scriptures because you think they give you eternal life. But the scriptures point to me. Yet you refuse to come to me to receive his, this life. Your approval means nothing to me because I know you don't have God's love within you. For I've come to you in my Father's name, and you've rejected me. Yet if others come in their own name, you gladly welcome them. No wonder you can't believe. For you gladly honor each other, but you don't care about the honor that comes from the one who alone is God. Yet, it isn't I who accuse you before the Father. Moses will accuse you. Yes, Moses, in whom you put your hopes. If you really believed Moses, you would believe me because he wrote about me. But since you don't believe what he wrote, how will you believe what I say? So let's unpack this last section in the text. Jesus references John the Baptist, mentioning that for a while people were excited about John the Baptist. Does that imply that they were excited for a minute and they got tired of him? We don't know. But that John pointed to Jesus, and he is a greater witness in, in, through his teachings and miracles, and that people are struggling to believe him. Seemingly, more often, the Pharisees and those who claim to have the truth than the Gentiles and or the lowly people in society who are excited to believe and put their faith in Jesus. There's an interesting statement in verse 39. You search the scriptures because you think they give you eternal life, but the scriptures point to me. Yet you refuse to come to me to receive this life. I've known people that seem to put their quiet time as this like ultimate thing and reading the scriptures and they do all the Christian practices and principles, and yet their heart seems to be so cold. I remember even in seminary, um, I think it was seminary, maybe it was somewhere else, I heard this story about this person that just had libraries of information. They were so wise, quote-unquote, theologically, and yet they were just this kind of curmudgeon, terrible, mean, cold, calloused person. So you have to be aware, like, are we searching the scriptures to be changed by them, to find Jesus, to know Jesus, to relate to him? Or are we just searching them to have truth and knowledge and to feel better and smarter and superior at some level? Because that's dangerous. Like, I know there's so many times where I've read the Bible because I'm quote unquote supposed to versus I'm hungry and I need my God. I need Jesus. And sometimes it's even good to pray and say, Lord, help me find you today in your scriptures. Because sometimes the scriptures are frustrating or exhausting or confusing, and we need his spirit to make them come alive to us. So are we seeking the scriptures for the truth and knowledge, um, or are we seeking it to experience Jesus? Man, I love verse 41 too. Your approval means nothing to me. 
Again, it reminds me of a Tim Keller sermon where he really unpacks pride in such an elegant, beautiful way. Um, The sermon is called Blessed Self-Forgetfulness, and that's such a healthy approach to say your approval means nothing to me. I shouldn't care about what I think about myself. I shouldn't care about what others think about me. I should care about what God thinks about me. Now, the caveat is if, if someone says, hey, man, you hurt me, I need to care about that. I need to consider that and, and see my part and maybe grow. But ultimately, my identity and my authority and my meaning needs to come from God. And then Jesus says something interesting. So your approval means nothing to me because I know you don't have God's love within you. This makes me think of churches who have taken a stance to love the least of these and then get criticized and bashed. And it's like, well, if God's love isn't within these people because they're being so hateful and so not Christ-like, then we shouldn't care about what people think. We are here to honor God and not honor man. And even if men hate us, especially because they're exemplifying that, that love is not in their hearts because of how they're criticizing or how they're challenging, all the more reason, all the more uh, freedom to say, man, I don't have to worry about your approval. Last point of the day, it's a fascinating uh, part where Jesus points out that if people come in their own name, human beings tend to flock to them, right? So if someone is speaking truth, again, truth in love, right? This isn't the people that are like, oh, you're going to hell and you're all terrible. That's not truth. Like there's sometimes like it's right for people to hate you. Like if you're just being a terrible, mean person, that's not Jesus and that's not the truth. But if you're speaking the truth that's convicting, if you're speaking truth that's challenging, sometimes we all are tempted to just want our ears tickled. We just want a sugar-coated, false, fake sense of God that makes me feel good, but doesn't require anything of me. But then we'd also, if we're honest with ourselves, realize that it's very empty and there's nothing to that and it doesn't change us. And so it's good to realize, like, what is someone's motive? Is their motive here to make something about themselves, to just throw rules in our face, or Is their ultimate goal that we're empowered to experience the love of the Father, to relate to Him, to know Him, to pursue Him with our full being? That's the point of spiritual practices, are to be closer to God, to be made more in His image. But I've worked with clients who will talk about their anxiety has skyrocketed at their Christian clients because of the kind of things that they listen to. And they listen to various pastors or speakers, and they end up just questioning their faith. They worry they're going to hell because of how the material is presented and the emphasis of it. And people act like they hold the whole truth, and you need to listen to them and follow them. And that is not God. Jesus is freely accessible. He's relatively easy to understand. And the fruit of his message is that not that we walk around in terror, but we're unlocked and freed to be more fully human, the way human beings were designed. It allows us to love others better, to think about ourselves less, and to start taking steps of enjoying that eternal life now because we have relationship with the Father. Well, that concludes today's episode. Thank you so much for listening. And remember to check back Wednesdays and Fridays for new episodes. Until then, 